I guarantee you this is a terrifying idea to many. The idea that anyone can send money to anyone without asking, without permission, without control, without censorship, without ID, is terrifying. My generation finds it liberating. The generation after mine sees it as normal. They will never know a world in which you cannot send money anywhere to anyone. A world in which money only works Monday to Friday, 9 to 5. A world in which the privilege of having a bank account costs you a monthly fee for other people to store your money. A world in which some destinations are prohibited. A world in which, in order to open a bank account, you have to be 16. Which seems like a bizarre idea. Get ready for a world in which six-year-olds have Bitcoin accounts. Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is The FOMO Show. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is a fortnightly podcast where we talk about the exciting ideas changing the world today and what might change the world tomorrow. We'll help you stay across what's going on so you don't get the fear of missing out. You can find us at FOMO.show or by searching for The FOMO Show on your platform of choice. And uh, yeah, leave us a review while you're there. Everything in the show is in the show notes. You can find links to the stuff we're talking about and timestamps to the relevant parts. You can always skip ahead or find it later. Now, this episode, we're going to be covering about a month's worth of news. We've missed an episode, and we'll get into why in a, in a, in a few minutes. But um, yeah, and we're also going to have a feature on self-hosting your life, taking back control from the, uh, the uh, I don't know, the bad people. The cloud. The cloud. Taking control dun, back dun, dun. from the cloud. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, it's basically just, if, if, you want, if you want to take control of your own data... Uh, you want to do things as you know as locally or like as under your control as possible. We're just gonna we're gonna run through a whole bunch of ways that you can do that because there are some awesome tools out there. Um, we're also going to look at BlockFi in our cool tool. In our privacy and security section, we're going to be talking about proof of keys and do a very brief intro to Piehole, which is a really exciting network-wide ad blocker that you can set up with your router. Let's get into it. A little bit of disclosure, this podcast is not investment or any other type of advice. We're not saying you should buy anything at all. So for full disclosure, we're both personally invested in different shares, funds, cryptocurrencies, other things, some of which we talk about on the show. But if we talk about any type of investment product or product at all, it doesn't mean you should buy it, use it, sell it, or wrap it in a bag. Yes, so do your own research, never invest more than you can afford to lose, and most of all, avoid the fear of missing out. So, what have you been up to in this almost month-long interregnum, Joe? Well, I um, learned that I'm not the best cyclist in the rain. So, I um, fractured my jaw by cycling home from work just after it had been raining. I was going downhill round a corner and right on the apex of this corner was a manhole cover. yeah, so front of the bike slipped out. Uh, my face just hit the, f- the 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 pavement, and um, yeah, just completely. 
yeah, smashed my face open. So I had a couple of stitches. Can't you went eat. to hospital. Yep, uh, lovely time there. Good, mm-hmm. good, good people there. And um, yeah, I'm still eating soup. Um, so yeah, I'm really good at making soup now. But um, that was not the most ideal of situations. Uh, what else has been going on? Oh, my company got acquired. So we were a yeah. sixty-person cybersecurity company. We got acquired simultaneously alongside 11 other businesses, and now we're a 400-plus person company um, doing, and we're now Australia's largest pure cybersecurity firm, which is pretty exciting. Um, Yeah, I mean, it kind of shows that people are seeing where the trends are going, and I mean, I'm still a little bit in awe of the fact that they managed to merge 11 companies basically at the same time. Mm. And it's I, I, there's still like sort of approvals that need to go on because some of the investors in the company are from overseas, so there's all this sort of foreign investment regulatory bureaucracy stuff that needs to happen. But pretty exciting. Um, so it's going to take a year or two for uh, everything to merge into one thing. And the great news is there are no people who run the marketing yet. So good little opportunity for me to do a bit of more exciting digital marketing stuff for um, a massive cybersecurity firm. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So pretty exciting. Uh, I also watched this video. Um, I sent you the link. It's called Boss Town Dynamics. And you know those Boston Dynamics robots which uh, do a new terrifying thing every week? Well, uh, these guys um, who I've been subscribed to for years, they, they do all these sort of... Um, you know, really cool special effects videos. They simulated uh, this Boston Dynamics robot if they gave it a gun, and it's terrifying and brilliant all at once. <laughs> so, uh, uh. yeah, no, you definitely watch it. It's um, like you, you you'll think it's real, yeah. it's, it's, <laughs> which is scary. <laughs> but uh, yeah, what have you been up to, um, mate? I've been reading a lot of books. Like mm. I, I've been, I feel like the last few weeks I've just been pretty voracious in my book appetite and and that's like been books um that are like actual books like uh you know books from audible most of them in audio books i've been reading a few print books as well but also um even one of the podcasts i follow um which is the crypto economy podcast by Ooh. guy swan he reads he reads like bitcoin articles a lot of the time but he yeah. just recently read a book like he was basically doing the audio book recording for someone as the podcast, which was awesome. Um, wow. It was a great book too. Um, so, yeah, that, so, but, but the, the actual books I've been reading are uh, Permanent Record by Edward Snowden. So, Ooh, I got cool. that pretty much when it came out. I'm probably on all sorts of lists now. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it was, it was awesome. So, I finished that book. Uh, it basically runs through uh, Edward Snowden's life. Like, it's kind of his autobiography. Um, and he goes from, like, basically when he was born all the way through to when he uh, found out exactly what the NSA were doing and why he made the decision to then kind of throw his entire life away um, and get the data out of there and give it to the journalists. Wow. Oh, did you see the um, Joe Rogan um, Experience podcast with Ed Snowden recently? Yeah, like I I listened to probably like 15 minutes of it, but it was – I just found it tough because I'd already read the book and it was kind of like a a summary of the book and it was Mm. a bit of a monologue too. So, Mm. I just – yeah. 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 uh, Like I'm sure there was good stuff at the end of it when Joe was actually asking questions, but – 
Yeah. yeah, people were calling it the Ed Snowden experience with Joe Rogan, but um, <laughs> some really interesting stuff in there. But um, yeah, uh, the Joe Rogan Experience Clips channel, like they 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 do all the small little bites from the full podcast but the clips were on average about 20 minutes from the show from that so yeah it's it's sort of monologues but really interesting stuff you know like how you know uh, mobile phones all have a unique number so it doesn't matter which sim card you put in there or what you do it's still tracked to that number stuff like that really interesting um backgrounders yeah yeah no so like if you that's probably the best place to listen to the ed snowden stuff first and then if you like that, then get the book because the book, mm. I, I really enjoyed the book. I thought it was great. Mm. Uh, uh, good audio book. Uh, I've also been listening to Debt, The First 5,000 Years, mm. um, which basically is someone um, who's written this massive book on, uh, which is all about debt. So it's all about like tracing it from its origins, how it's played out in society and all the different ways that people have been in debt and kind of like in a roundabout way showing where how we got here with our current money which is very debt based so um, that one's been really interesting and I've also been reading or listening to Digital Cash which is kind of like uh, the, the, the the subtitle for the book is The Untold Story of Anarchists uh, Crypto Anarchists Cypherpunks and uh, Libertarians or something and their um, their search for real digital cash um, so it's kind of all the stuff before Bitcoin um, and a lot of the players you hear about later on in Bitcoin, kind of all them doing it early on. So it's really, really interesting. Now, I hear you've also been getting into a bit of uh, serious Bitcoin more recently. What's what's happened there? Yeah, so I um, uh, I've kind of I've I've fallen down the whole Bitcoin rabbit hole in a in a whole new way. Actually, like just in my own in my own time, my own reading and. Yeah, you know, I realized that like there were there were just some things that I probably needed to do, um, mm. and one of them is to uh, like properly run my own Bitcoin full node. So I've run a Bitcoin full node before, um, just on my you know daily computer, just mucked around, but I've never actually had like a dedicated machine running it twenty four seven, and yeah. um, and I also wanted to use it to then verify my own transactions because one of the big things with Bitcoin is um, like they say, don't trust, verify. You know, you always mm. need to verify. Mm. And one of the ways that you should be doing it if you've got, you know, a decent amount of Bitcoin is having your own full node so that if you send yourself, if you send Bitcoins to your wallet, um, that wallet is plugged into your node. So you're only getting info from your node then. You're not getting, because mm. a lot of these wallets are like um, what they call mm. light clients. Mm. So they rely on someone else's server mm-hmm. um, and you can't actually verify those transactions yourself. So I said, oh, well, I'll go. And I've got a machine um, sitting here that I've, I've set it up on. Um, uh, but I found out that you could actually do it all over Tor as well. So you can essentially mm. run like a, like a hidden Bitcoin node over Tor, um, which still can like send and receive transactions, still is a complete part of the Bitcoin network. But it's um, essentially hidden from your ISP, from anyone who wanted to work out, you know, where those where that node was, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it also then helps other people who want to, uh, who may be in countries where there's censorship to mm. plug into the Bitcoin network as well, if you're running it over that. So cool. um, that's been really cool, man, like digging into all of that and, and setting up Tor properly and uh, and then setting up Bitcoin through that and then working out how to verify your own transactions. And, mm. oh, oh, so Mate, cool. exciting. Anything else we can get on? 
Um, oh, I've just been making. I've actually been making a bunch of videos. I haven't put any of them Ooh. up yet, but uh, mm. just more more for my um, my own professional stuff. Uh, but yeah, they'll awesome. be if you follow me on LinkedIn, they'll be coming up pretty soon. A lot of it's focused towards like businesses, startups, um, just kind of, and a lot of guys who are in the tech industry, just you know, getting some getting some information out there about uh, a lot of the things I've learned um, over the years being a lawyer and and helping a number of these businesses. So yeah, cool, cool, it's cool, been, cool. Been Lots been happening. Can can anybody follow you on LinkedIn? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Just, um, we'll put the link in the show notes if you want to follow me on LinkedIn. That's generally where I'm the most active. Yes, so. I do enjoy seeing your uh, your comments on uh, on LinkedIn stuff. Very, I, you're, I do, I, I really enjoy seeing your stuff that you're chatting about. So, um, yeah, cool stuff. Good on you. Thanks, man. Are you certain that you're private and safe online? Check out our new resource at fomo.show forward slash privacy. It's a great online repository uh, of our favorite tools to understand and improve your security. If you're new to cryptocurrency, Bitcoin and blockchain tech, you can check out our blockchain basic series, which covers the fundamentals. It starts from episode two and continues on until episode eight. Right. First up in our news... Facebook's Libra Association are quote-unquote crumbling as Visa, MasterCard, Stripe and others exit one week after PayPal left the project. Yeah, so uh, this is from The Verge. Visa, MasterCard, eBay, Stripe and Mercado Mercado Pargo. (laughs) Oh, try saying that 10 times quick. Uh, Have all withdrawn from the Libra Association dealing a quote-unquote major blow to Facebook's plans for the global currency. Um now, Visa told The Verge that they've decided not to join the Libra Association at this time. They'll continue to evaluate and their ultimate decision will be determined by a number of factors, including their ability to fully satisfy all regulatory expectations. Oh, satisfying regulatory expectations. That sounds mm. sounds almost wrong. You get so the impression right. that it's just it's it's just the bad they don't want the bad press at the mm. moment. Like mm. Facebook's kind of in in hot water with with Congress, you know, they like they think that Libra are wanting to take over the US currency, which you know, they probably are. Mm. Um but you know, none of these none of these other companies want to be lumped in with that right now. They'd much rather Facebook kind of cop the heat, sort everything out and then come slinking back once mm. you know, once people are a bit happier with them. Yeah, now it's worth knowing like Uber is still involved, Spotify is still involved, Lyft, whoever they are, are still involved, um, Vodafone is still involved. So it seems like a lot of primarily non-US businesses, with the exception of Uber there, and well, I have no idea where Lyft are from, but Spotify and Vodafone, they're not really US companies. Mm. Um, they're still in, but... Uh yeah, so in a big reversal, Libra could reportedly peg their cryptocurrency to national currencies instead of a synthetic currency tied to a basket of global currencies, as they previously said. Yeah, so they've been telling bankers that their main goal is to create a better payment system, and they're open to alternative approaches to the original structure of their project. Because, mm, yeah, previously they'd, they'd intended to create this quote-unquote cryptocurrency by pegging it to a basket of, you know, US dollars and UN and euros or some other nonsense and, you know, pittances or whatever other cryptocurrency <laughs> you want to invest in there. But, um, yeah, so Bitcoin I think SV. it's... Yeah. 
we're talking, you know, we're not being reckless. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's it seems that they're sort of kowtowing. How do you pronounce that word? Kowtowing? 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 Kowtowing. Why are you towing cows? I don't know. But, um, yeah, apparently they're trying to kowtow to the US government. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, for those that missed it, like Libra originally, they said, we're going to have our own cryptocurrency network. It's going to be, you know, Facebook will be a founder. All these other companies will kind of be in it. We'll have a cryptocurrency that'll be pegged to a number of national currencies, but it'll kind of be its own thing. And it'll, they wanted to have like an intelligent kind of weighting system where like with, if, you know, the US dollar became stronger against the euro, they'd, they'd reweight the basket. So you kind of still ended up with the same value in the end. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, the way it's, I mean, it sounds like, you know, with the amount of backpedaling that they've been doing, what's eventually going to happen is they're going to end up with, a few tins, some string, and they're going to be they're going to be mouthing Morse code through the string. Oh, I like yeah. it. The, Le- cloud, the Libra the- network. Yes. Yeah. Freedom. Future payments. <laughs> oh mate. Oh, next. This is cool. The IRS will now ask if you own cryptocurrency in their most widely used U.S. tax form. Yeah. So it's not a. It's only a draft, so it's not an actual document for filing taxes yet, but it asks at the top, at any time in 2019, did you receive, sell, send, exchange, or otherwise acquire any financial interest in any virtual currency? Now, yeah. Joe, hmm. well, just like, you know, if I if I acquired um, a string of letters and numbers from a mathematical system, which happened to be digital, would that constitute a virtual currency? Well, that's a very good question. I'm glad you asked it. Now, I feel like you just acquired some strings of numbers and, you know, random made-up nonsense. But um, Mm. also, it makes – I would certainly answer no to that because I did not acquire any interest whatsoever. In fact, I got (laughs) very uninterested in in a number of these, these, you know, S-coins, as they're known, which I uh, may have dabbled a bit too much in. Well, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a good thing because you could acquire some interest once you hear about BlockFi, which we'll talk about later. Yeah, I like that. Mm. Nice little plug there. Yeah. Mm, yes. There's a marketer in you we're not, that's just we're not bursting sponsored. to come out. <laughs> we're not sponsored by BlockFi. just want to make uh, that clear. Uh, yeah. Next bit of news. Uh, the Economic Department of Dubai has unveiled a blockchain-based business registry. Yeah, so they've announced a move to a blockchain-based unified business registry platform. So according to a Saudi Gazette report, uh, we're regular readers here, obviously, um, the platform Mm. (laughs) aims... And this week... uh, Every day I call you, mate, did you see what was in the Saudi Gazette yesterday? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. So we've been denied uh, visa access to Saudi permanently so while we wait for that anyway the platform aims to improve the ease of doing business in Dubai and uh, enable license issuers to manage trade licenses and corporate registries very exciting so this UBRP eventually aims to host a total of 40 government entities in the UAE good hmm yes so anyway read about that more in the Saudi Gazette that's all I'm saying (laughs) 
Next bit of news, uh, Rwanda has launched the first ever made-in-Africa smartphones. Yes, uh, it opens its doors the other month in Kigali, uh, the capital city of Rwanda, reports Reuters. Yeah, so the Mara phone, uh, which is a smartphone manufacturer owned by the pan-African conglomerate Mara Group, um, I wonder how much Chinese investment they have, Joe. Um, mm. is unveil- unveiled two high-tech smartphones on Monday, describing them as the first made-in-Africa smartphones tailored for local and regional markets. Yeah, so, um, yeah, the Mara X and Mara Z went on sale uh, for $120 and $170, respectively, which is cheap. Yeah, that's really cheap. I mean, you can you can see. I mean, they look they look like good phones too. You know, they look yeah. like good Android phones. They remind me of Pixels, actually, like a lot yeah. of uh, the way they look. But um, yeah, they're designed to compete with um, Asian manufacturers like Huawei and Samsung. Um, and they you know they're two companies that dominate Africa's smartphone market. But the CEO of Mara said at the launch event. We realized a few years ago to create positive social impact on our continent, we need to have high quality and affordable smartphones. And that's why they came up with the Mara phones. So that's super dope and yeah. very exciting. They look cool. They're cheap. Um, and yeah. Uh, Isn't it cool space? to see that kind of stuff being made in Africa? Yeah. It's I'm really super cool. pumped. I'm so pumped for that. Like that, That's such a cool just bit of news um, i mean this isn't yeah. something that we've talked about a lot is it but like the um like we've talked about africa we've talked about china but we didn't really talk about the fact that you know china is you know the middle class is growing like generally what, what happens once you know the middle class grows to a certain extent the manufacturing becomes a fair bit more expensive yeah, it's harder to manufacture yeah, yeah. there cheaply i mean this and a lot of that is already going to like places like vietnam and myanmar yeah, and yeah, other places yeah, in yeah, asia yeah. but um it's not outside of the realm of possibility to see a lot of that also shift to Africa, really. Mm, mm, mm. You know, if if they're starting to do this kind of stuff. Then it means there are factories, there are supply chains, there's, you know, roads being built to transport the lorries with all these things on. It's yeah. super cool. Yeah. Yes. Watch this so space. What, yeah, definitely. Love it. Love it. Next piece of news, super exciting. Uh, so China, they're making citizens scan their faces to sign up for the internet. So, starting in December, tech companies in China will scan the face of anyone who signs up for internet services or new cell phone numbers as well. Yeah, so this is really good. It protects us against terrorists and you because you're a threat. Um, And it was introduced by China's Ministry of Industry and Information Technology in September to prevent fraud and, quote-unquote, safeguard the legitimate rights and interests of citizens in the the cyberspace, Mm, as Quartz reports. Nothing like a good visit to the cyberspace. Yeah. So, yeah. but I mean, look, I, you know, I'm I'm really glad. Like, I mean, I you know, I really feel like my legitimate rights and interests would be protected by having my face scanned and being told whether I need a you know whether I whether I can be approved for the privilege of an internet service or a new cell phone number. And, oh, well, I even saw something ingenious be suggested by the Australian government the other day, and I'm sure some of our listeners have heard this. Excuse the content, but Australia's government is floating the idea to scan internet users' faces before they can watch porn online. Mm. So your look of surprise will uh, <laughs> will be f- it's, <laughs> forever. You think it's so I can do it before and after. <laughs> I like that. I'm that's, sorry. That's genius. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, in fact, I'm not even going to put the link in the show notes because I don't want to link to that kind of content, you know what I mean? No, no. Mm. But uh, yeah. Oh. Innovation. <laughs> yes. I love our governments. Let's bring it up a few notches. 
Yeah, so artificial blood has been developed for patients of any blood type. Yeah, so this has come out of Asahi.com. Hopefully not related to the beer company, Asahi. Anyway, Japanese researchers said they developed artificial blood that can be transfused into patients regardless of their blood type and can vastly improve the chances of survival for seriously injured people. Now, the, uh, the scientists at the National Defence Medical College have proven that this is effective on experiments on rabbits mm. and for possible applications on humans. Um, they're essentially having the artificial blood um, they, they would be offered in emergency situations um, and people wouldn't have to know what blood type they are. Essentially, like the blood would just be able to service people no matter what blood type they are. So, I assume it's what's the universal donor type? Oh, that's not O or something, is it? Is it or- O negative or something? Oh. Yeah, or whatever it is. I, I assume it would be that blood type. Yeah. Oh, yeah. O negative you are. You're a very knowledgeable man. Oh, there you go. Thank you. I, well, I don't even know what blood type I am, so. Yeah. You'll find yeah. out in an emergency situation, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, scientists have zapped birds' brains with light to implant false memories. Yeah, so um, I read about this yesterday when I was on my air balloon uh, flying over Mars. <laughs> so, uh, so most zebra finches <laughs> learn to sing by... M- most zebra finches. <laughs> Sorry, mate. You're, ruin- you're, you're, just, you're making it so hard. <laughs> uh, it's a false memory. Uh, all, it's yeah, all good. Uh, how was it? Oh, it was it was amazing. Then there are all these like flashing bright lights, and that's all I remember. Ah, mate. So most zebra finches learn to sing by mimicking the songs of their parents. Yeah, but a team of University of Texas Southwestern researchers have managed to implant memories of songs the birds have never heard before right <laughs> into their brains. <laughs> um, they did that using patterns of light. I would. I really hope that they put that troll tune in. Friday by who sung Friday? Rebecca Black. Oh, Rebecca. There you go. Uh, so yeah, they put this in a paper. How they inserted genes into specific neurons related to song learning in the birds' brains, and those genes allowed the researchers to activate the neurons using light. Yeah. So the longer they shone the light on a certain neural pathway the longer the syllables of the bird songs were. So, by alternating short and long durations of light exposure, the team taught the bird its song memory. So, we could teach them Morse code, basically, and then end up communicating with birds. I mean, it's just it's incredible because they've, they've say, they're saying that they've confirmed brain regions that encode behavioral goal memories. And those memories are those that guide us when we want to imitate anything from speech to learning the piano, they've said. So maybe it's going to be like that Matrix thing where he's like, I know Kung Fu. I mean, it's a little bit scary, isn't it? Like you could be walking down the street and you could see a bunch of flashing lights and then, you know, all of a sudden you're humming Beyonce's latest single or something. Well, you could imagine. I reckon here's what's going to happen, right? So you're driving along and you see the police and they've got some sirens off and they pulled someone over. And then you say to yourself out loud, you say, they're here for my safety. Good. So, next bit of news. Twitch megastar Shroud is joining Ninja on Mixer as an exclusive streamer. Now, this is actually really big news because um, Shroud or Michael Greziek, I think is his name. Uh, he's a former CSGO uh, professional player, professional esports player, and has built a massive, massive subscriber following on Twitch. Um, 
to, to the tune of like 40,000 regular subscribers. And so that means at the very least, like at the very bit minimum subscription level, uh, 120,000 US dollars a month in just subscription fees. Wow. So, yeah, he actually abandoned the Amazon-owned streaming service, Twitch, in favor of Microsoft's Mixer platform, which I'd never heard of. Yeah, neither did I. I mean, I, you know, I actually watch Shred stream quite a bit. Um, just when I'm, you know, when I'm doing other things, I might have it going on the side. And he just disappeared like two weeks ago. And I didn't know, I didn't actually know this until about a week after. Um, yeah. Yeah, because we were sitting uh, next to each other at a whiskey night where we were enjoying various whiskeys of various quantities in mm. epic proportions. Yeah, and someone said, did you know, like, Shroud had switched? And I said, no, I didn't, but it makes sense because he hasn't been online. Yeah, there's your answer, and now we're doing his advertising for him. He's now on Mixer, Microsoft thing, <laughs> and Microsoft would have paid a pretty penny for it. I mean, it's just, it's interesting, isn't it? Because Microsoft seems to do this every few years, don't they? They, um, they... They're late to the party on something and then they start their own thing. They throw a bunch of money at it. And then it's like, you know, that surprise Pikachu face on the memes. It's, like, <laughs> it's, it's that face they pull when it doesn't work. Yeah. We saw this with Microsoft Phone. Um, what else? We've seen this with other things, I'm sure. Um, oh, Windows Vista. Windows. Yes, please. <laughs> yep. Uh, Windows Vista, Microsoft Store. Oh, um, is that still a thing? Oh, apparently. Mm. Apparently. Um, the, you know, when they made an Xbox announcement where they were like, it's going to be a media center and, you know, they <laughs> bought PlayStations instead. In fact, they paid so much money that we've forgotten all their other failures. Huh, <laughs> <Sure>. weird. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, it'll be interesting to... I mean, look, they, they, I guess they're going through a, with a good strategy right now, which is to pick all the top guys and um, throw money at them and get them to come across. Mm-hmm. And look, at the end of the day, it's probably just good for the streamers because they can now... Um, a similar thing went on back when Twitch started, actually, like on a way smaller scale, but there were like several competing um, platforms for streaming and they all sponsored different pros to go on their platform. So there was like Ustream, Justin TV, which is what became Twitch, um, YouTube Live back then. And every like streamer, like you'd have to go on their different platform because they'd have like exclusive deals but then Amazon bought Twitch and like all of a sudden Twitch just had like F off money mm. um, and they just paid everyone. They just paid everyone off, got them on the platform and then gradually kind of, you know, cut the payments down until because they were, they were the dominant force. So, mm. yeah, it's, I guess it's going to be good for content creators. Last piece of news, NASA is collaborating with Caterpillar on moon mining machines. Yeah, so iconic construction vehicle company Caterpillar and NASA are working to build machines that could excavate and mine the lunar surface. Now, the goal is to determine whether it makes sense to send autonomous remote control construction equipment to the moon uh, to gather rocks, dust, and mortar that NASA could use as raw materials for its planned lunar outposts. Yeah, so NASA and Caterpillar have long collaborated on robotics projects, uh, CNBC reports, but it's the company's autonomous capabilities, which are unusual for the construction vehicle market, that make it a standout candidate to build lunar infrastructure. Yeah, and look, the moon is a very, very hazardous workplace, obviously. Um, and so, you know, that, that's why they're focusing on this idea of semi-autonomous vehicles to cut down on how dangerous construction work astronauts would have to do themselves. I saw this random piece in the last couple of weeks, and it was really, really interesting. So I thought I'd share it here. Nothing to do with cryptocurrency or technology. 
It was an article by Seth Godin who started um, Squidoo, I think, back in the day. He made a bunch of money. He does. He's done a blog post every day for like 15 plus years. Uh, and this piece was called Open the Cookies. Yeah, so he said, put a bag of cookies in the break room and it might sit for days, but open the bag and leave it out and within an hour, all the cookies will be gone. So he said, we're happy to take a tiny slice off the thing that's being shared, but we hesitate to open the bag. And the same is true, he says, with all the, the initiatives in our culture. Design, movements and ideas are all trapped, waiting to be opened, and the rest of us will happily pile on. Open the bag. It's quite interesting, you know, just... Yeah, um, it is. Oh, it's very true. I mean, no one wants to be the first person to open that bag. But some of us can just take risks and um, do it. And everyone else will just jump in and be like, ooh, that's awesome. So this uh, week's cool tool is a tool called BlockFi. Now, BlockFi is something that I've been using um, for the past oh, little, little while now. Um, and what they are is they're a, they're a platform for... Uh, Bitcoin interest accounts. So they have a, you can deposit your Bitcoin with BlockFi, um, and then they will pay you essentially about six percent interest per year on your Bitcoin in Bitcoin. Wow, what? That is insane. I did not know that you've been using it. Yeah, so I've been. Um, it was recommended to me by a friend. He basically said, "Look, I've done my research into it." Um, he. He was quite skeptical at first. As well, I was very skeptical of it too. I must admit, because like there's a whole thing in in uh, in crypto. You know, if, if they're not your keys, they're not your coins, right? And that's why we get. You know, mm-hmm. that's why we try and get our stuff off exchanges whenever we can, because um, you know it's money that you're meant to like you're meant to reduce your risk, hold your own keys. Mm-hmm. And BlockFi is the opposite. You give it to them, they then use it for loans. Um, and loan it out to people that want to do like trading and um, a number of other things uh, in the in the crypto exchange world. Mm-hmm. And so initially, I was then very skeptical of it because I was like, "Well, they're 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 loaning it to probably high high volume, high risk traders. How do I know that I'm going to get like how do I know they're not going to go bankrupt or they're not going to make some very unwise decisions?" But uh, the loans they do are actually backed by always backed by double the capital. So you, if you want to take out, let's say, a ten Bitcoin. Um, loan, you need to put up at least 20 Bitcoin worth of collateral. So whether that be a house, a car, um, they make ve- they make it very clear that they only they only loan up to 50% of the value of whatever the collateral is. Um, the other thing that impressed me about the block the BlockFi setup is that in their company constitution, the people who've deposited Bitcoin are actually ahead of the shareholders if something goes oh. wrong. So. Um, normally, most companies you pay the shareholders first, and then kind of everyone else has whatever's left. But they've kind of structured it a little bit differently, which is really interesting. Mm. Uh, so, I guess you deposit your bitcoins with them to do that. Yeah, you do. So, I mean, again, at the end of the day, it's a custodial service. You send them the bitcoin, and then it sits there essentially in your account, and they will pay you interest every month at the end of the month based on whatever you've Bitcoin you've put in and they'll pay that interest in Bitcoin. Mm. Um, it's custodial, so you don't actually have... Um, the Bitcoin doesn't come into your account. Uh, it just sits there in their account and then if you ever want to r- remove it, um, you can take it out. And the, the re- removing it's actually free. So they you don't even pay a transaction fee if you remove it all. Um, I think you get one free removal a month or something. So they make it quite easy to take it back out as well. Holy. In saying all that... Like, 
they've got your keys, they've got your Bitcoin. So you need to, I, I like, I wouldn't just go and do this. Like, I'd recommend doing your own research, working out whether it's something that a risk you actually want to take. But when savings accounts, at least here in Australia, are only paying 2% interest a year, and that's probably going to go down this coming year. Like, we're definitely moving towards interest rates. Um, a 6% interest rate on your savings account, if you view it that way, um, I mean, that to me, that seems like an okay deal. Mm, so, where can we go to if we want to find out more about this? Yeah, so you can go to FOMO.show slash BlockFi. Now, we will warn you that's an affiliate link. So, we do get um, some benefit from that if you go to that link, but they're not sponsoring the show. Yeah, so you go to FOMO.show slash BlockFi, B-L-O-C-K-F-I. Wherever you're joining us from, it's a pleasure having you here. Why not drop into our Telegram channel and look at the photos of Joe's big accident? <laughs> FOMO.show slash Telegram. So we've got a couple of quick, uh, quick fire privacy and security tips uh, this week. The first one is about proof of keys. Now, this isn't really a tool. It's more something that Trace Mayer uh, introduces to. Yeah, so Trace Mayer is one like the like OG Bitcoin guys. Uh, really smart dude. Um, uh, I think it was his podcast was the first podcast I ever listened to when I got into crypto. Crypto. Mm. So um, yeah, definitely check Trace Mayer out. But um, basically, he's on this massive campaign where once every year he does this thing called Proof of Keys. Now, Proof of Keys is basically about I think it's on uh, January uh, January third. It is, um, and Proof of Keys is basically about going on all the exchanges that you have all your crypto on. Um, and taking it off and putting it into wallets that you control, which is essentially like um, making sure that all the exchanges actually have the Bitcoin that they say they actually have on them. Wow, that's really cool. Well, and it's like it's a little bit nuts because like last year, apparently when they did this or the start of this year, um, uh, about a week before they did the proof of keys, um, it, do you remember that weird bit where that guy who like that exchange owner like disappeared and then like yeah. allegedly died? Yeah, the Canadian like, one. Yeah, yeah. So they this was about, that was about a week before proof of keys, and then the the next week the exchange shut down, and it turned out that they were fractionally. Like, they didn't have all the, the Bitcoin that they said they had on the exchange. Oh. and Yeah. Basically, doing this last year, it showed who who had the amount that they had and then who didn't. And so, his, like, whole goal is that, like, people would do this every single year and, like, hold exchanges to account mm. and make sure that no one's doing, like, what Mt. Gox did, which was sell the Bitcoin and, and then say they had more than they did. It's interesting. He describes it as a combat readiness drill. And, and yeah, he says, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. So, yeah, yeah. really interesting. Uh, the other privacy security tip or tool, I guess, this week is Piehole. Yeah, so they describe themselves as a black hole for internet adver 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 advertisements. Now, you can set this up on like a Raspberry Pi or a, a really low-power computer, and you basically set this up as your DNS server. So the server that translates the, you know, Google.com into Google's IP address. So it prevents you having to remember all these phone numbers, essentially. Um and, and yeah, you set this up as your DNS server and then it blocks ads everywhere for you. So all the, you know, every request that goes out from your computer, when it's trying to request, you know, one of these ad servers, it just blocks it. 
Yeah, and look, you can even um, pair this with like a VPN, like a WideGuard VPN, so that if you like connect your phone to it, even if you're like out traveling the world or whatever, if it comes through that DNS server, it will block all the ads, um, even from like coming through to your phone, for mm. example. So it's just like, it's a really cool little tool. So you could set it up in your house, ha- like um, on a little Raspberry Pi in your house, but then run your smart TV through it. Um, so, you know, or your mobile phone through it so that, yeah, it just means that on your smart TV, no ads can happen or on your mobile phone, none of those ads can, can get there, even on in-app ads. Yeah. Like it's kind of like, so, you know, like you block origin privacy badger and those things you put on your, your browser. It's kind of like putting that on your entire home. So it blocks them before they're downloaded. So Mm. even better network performance. And you can even see the stats so yeah you've got a central place to view the stats see what they're blocking um yeah super cool pi hyphen hole dot net and pi pi hyphen hole dot net links in the show notes all right so following on from pi hole um which is kind of a self-hosted thing we're doing a feature this week called self-host your life So, we talk a lot about data breaches, government spying, intelligence agencies collecting, corporations harvesting your data and selling it, and all this fun stuff, which we totally agree with. Yeah. um, Our privacy and security segment is kind of like our effort to offset that, to kind of balance the scales a little bit between the surveillance state and the corporation surveillance state as well, and individual users, data privacy you know, our, our, our fundamental rights. Yeah. Now, there's so many services which are free. And I think even today in our Telegram, Pav was saying that. He was saying there's all this free stuff, but you actually have to pay for privacy in some ways. Um, but yeah, you know, you've got applications like, you know, Gmail. Google reads everything to send you adverts. Yeah. Messenger, uh, Facebook's Messenger, it profiles you and monetizes everything you do on that platform. You got Google Photos or Google Drive or Facebook Photos, you know, they profile your life, machine learning algorithms run over all over it and intelligence agencies most likely have access to that stuff too. Yeah, and, and that's a massive one because like most phones will come automatically uh, loaded with like a backup to a cloud service like Google Photos or Apple Photos or whatever. Um, and like you, you know, people put like their most intimate family memories and all sorts of things on on their phones like they take it with their phone now so the long and short of this segment is you can actually feasibly and quite easily self-host some of this stuff for free so what do we mean by self-hosted yeah so self-hosting is where you control the service so it's you yourself installing things and you having administrator level control so, you know, if you take this to an extreme, you can install it in your own on your own machine in your house. Yeah, but we're actually including renting service space in this because you can very easily take steps to make sure that not even the service provider, someone like DigitalOcean or uh, some of those other VPS providers, have control over what you do short of cutting you off completely. So, let's introduce your new best friend, some easy hosting providers. Okay, so first and foremost uh, is DigitalOcean. Now, we use DigitalOcean here ourselves to host the, the, the podcast. So every time you download from the FOMO Show feed, you are connecting with the DigitalOcean server, which we have spun up. We run the server um, and it costs us, what, like $5 a month or something, Joe? It's, it's pretty yeah, cheap. Yeah, it's pretty cheap stuff, yeah. Yeah, um, but they are the number one provider in the space. They are the go-to provider. Um, 
they actually, they offer cheap, reliable, flexible cloud storage, but their biggest um, plus point, I think, are their tutorials. You're right, actually. There's an insane amount of tutorials on setting things up. Have you got any that really stick out for you? Yeah. Um, so setting up Nextcloud was one of the biggest ones for me. So I run a Nextcloud instance, and we'll talk about that later. But I followed a DigitalOcean tutorial to do that. And I don't even know if I... No, I did use DigitalOcean for that one. Um, but they just like... They've got tutorials on nearly everything that you can self-host. And it they make it really easy to follow. So mm. they'll And they'll explain things as they go. Mm. And apparently, they've got like a whole section of their organization that just does tutorials and the biggest thing about their tutorials too is they're like platform agnostic so they even say in a lot of them like you don't have to use us this is because it's all running on linux servers yeah um it applies no matter where you set that linux server up whether it's on DigitalOcean, one of their competitors like i use our uh, volta and Virotech. it's yeah. all of the ones i use for some other things but even if you're doing it yourself like you can follow a DigitalOcean tutorial yeah. um and you can completely just do the same thing yourself rather than using DigitalOcean, which wow. is really, really cool. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it, it just means you can spin up servers really quickly. If you want to check them out, go to FOMO.show forward slash DigitalOcean. All is one word. Okay. So, let's talk about some self-hosted alternatives. So, there are like there is so much in our life that is hosted for us. And the more you dig down into this, uh, the more options you find. But we just wanted to highlight some... Some areas of your life or things you use um, and talk about, you know, some of the hosted options and then how you may be able to self-host that and why the self-hosted alternatives may be a bit better. So, I mean, let's look at websites, for instance. So, you can, you know, spin up a website on Squarespace or, uh, you know, Medium or Wix or one of those free platforms and that's that's all well and good. But, you know, for example, look at what we do here at the FOMO Show. We actually run on WordPress, which gives us a control panel that we can log into and edit the website and we completely control the website yeah and it's all open source software so wordpress is like one of the preeminent blogging platforms and website platforms uh completely free completely open you can literally go out uh just download wordpress most hosting platforms actually come with it just there the latest version mm. and you install it and it just it just goes like you don't have to pay a cent um and you can you can customize it, and the the benefit of that, of course, is that you own it. And with web websites and blogs in particular, like that's your content. And if you've got that content hosted with someone else through their platform, um, it if you say the wrong thing or if like you don't pay a bill or whatever, it's very easy for them to deplatform you, and you can never ever get that data back. Mm. Um, but with something like WordPress, um, you can. And there's another one called Ghost. Oh, um, yes. Talk. Have you come across that, Joe? Oh, Ghost is a big name. Now, WordPress is one of the most common self-hosted website platforms. So, it allows you to log in and edit and you just manage your pages and stuff without having to know code or anything like that. But WordPress works on a database and every time a user loads a web page, it has to query the database and it's quite clunky and slow. Um, now, you can optimize WordPress, which is what many people do, but... Ghost is something that's called a headless CMS. Now, it, essentially, it works. It's ultra fast. Is the 
the long and short of how Ghost works. It's apparently even 19 times faster than WordPress when it comes to the wow. end user loading the web page. Wow. Yeah. And so it, they, um, they, they're offering them, like they're positioning themselves as a very, very real alternative to WordPress. And you just got to go on their website and look at a bunch of the, um, the companies that use them. And like Mozilla uses them, DuckDuckGo uses them, like a lot of these quote-unquote privacy respective company companies love ghost mm-hmm. um and i mean i got i got um cms envy when i when i looked at it i saw it and i was like wow this looks absolutely incredible um mm. and uh and there's a lot of they seem to be getting a lot of momentum um in a reasonably short period of time so yeah, ghost really interesting alternative to wordpress um so yeah check that one out so cloud storage i know that you, like you so you know, I, to my great shame, use Google Drive. Uh, I work, I'm on SharePoint or OneDrive. And a few of the people I know, poor souls, use Apple Apple iCloud or whatever it is. What do you use, my, and don't hold it over my head like you're a greater person? <laughs> uh, well, I, okay, so I, I do have to come clean. I still do use OneDrive uh, for some of my work stuff. <laughs> um, because I got to throw, I, you know, I use um like for work. I have to use Word, right? Yeah, five, yeah, yeah. And so you know, there is there is still a OneDrive element to my professional life, uh, but for my personal life, I use Nextcloud. Wow! Now, Nextcloud is so cool. Like I cannot even just the thought of talking about Nextcloud again because I think I've already talked about it once on the podcast. Yeah. But the thought of <laughs> maybe twice. <laughs> thought of talking about it again uh, got me really, really excited because Nextcloud is like one of the most feature-rich self-hosted options out there. And it, it, like it does cloud storage and that was obviously what it started with, but it extends so far beyond cloud storage. Um, it's it's not even funny. So it's, yeah, I've, from what I've seen, it's really easy to set up. It's got good built-in security and encryption and it works just like Google Drive or OneDrive. You just have to set it up yourself. Um, isn't there, yeah, isn't there a phone application and a desktop application? So Yeah, so they've got applications across all your devices and that, that they all sync back to your server too. So wow. like just like you can install OneDrive or Google Drive on your phone, you can install it on your uh, Nextcloud on your phone and it acts just like you're on the desktop or wherever else. Um, and, you know, you can even share things from phone. Like I'm pretty sure I've put a few things in our yeah, Telegram. Yeah, yeah. Um, that I've just shared from my phone, um, password protected, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, basically like Nextcloud does everything that Google Drive or OneDrive does, but the difference is you own it. And wow. and, and that doesn't really become, um, that doesn't really sink in until you've actually got it all set up and you, and, and you, you know, you install it on your, on your desktop and you start putting things in it. And you realize that you are literally the only person that can see that stuff. It's still a cloud app. Like you can see it on all your devices, but no one else has access to that except for you. Mm. I mean, then you start looking at the apps that they've built on top of this. I mean, things get pretty scary after that. I I know for a fact that you use the calendar that's built into that. Why is that? Yeah. So, I mean, so the thing about calendars, um, and I hadn't even thought about this until I think I heard the... um, the, the complete privacy and security guys talk about it is that your calendar is actually one of the most intimate things about you because what it does, it tells anyone that can see it where you're going to be at what location and with whom. So if someone was to get access to your calendar, they basically get access to the agenda of your life. Wow. 
Oops. Um, so, so I, I think that's you know one of the most important things to self-host, and it, it syncs in with your phone and your desktop calendar apps as well, doesn't it? Yeah. So I've actually got this. Um, there's, they've got. So I've got like the uh, the Nextcloud calendar, and I've set it up with my um, calendar on my phone. Uh, it's got a like you got the web version of the calendar as well, so you can literally just pin the web version as a tab on on your browser, and you can have it up there permanently. Um, but the beauty of Nextcloud is that it it integrates through this thing called Caldav. Uh, I think WebDAV is oh, another yeah, one, but they're, yeah. they're these like open source protocols uh, that are kind of like platform agnostic. So um, you can, for example, like my work calendar, right? I have um, all sorts of different appointments for work. But I don't want my personal calendar popping. I don't want all the, or that uh, my work calendar populating with all my personal stuff mm. because that's a three six five calendar. It's uh, it's owned by Microsoft. Um, you know, they may or may not be able to see that. Uh, and also, like, there's other people in at work who have visibility into that calendar as well. Wow. And I don't really think they need to know that. You know, my wife, my daughter, and I are going to um, some place on the weekend. Um, at a particular time to be with other family, blah, 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 you know? Mm. So um, what you can do with Nextcloud is you can actually, they've got this application which you can put on any device um, <clears throat> which will integrate with things like Outlook um, mm. and it will sync what you tell it to sync. So I've actually got it set up so that all of my work appointments sync to my main calendar, like my, my Nextcloud calendar, but yeah. they don't sync the other way. So they only yeah. sync one way um, and my main calendar keeps track of everything. Which is really, really cool. Wow. I mean, yeah. that's just the very start of Nextcloud, but they have a bunch of really cool applications that all plug into this and it's all under your control. So you've got webmail, you've got music, so have your own Spotify. Um, you can have multiple user accounts, apparently. Uh, what does that mean? Yeah, so if you want to, like, let's say you want to run, I don't know, you're like a family in Nextcloud or something, or even your own, like, your own hosting service, like your own cloud service, um, you can actually set Nextcloud up so that people can self-serve registration. Like, if you want to give them, you can set them up accounts, of course, and give them passwords, um, and then allocate them a certain amount of cloud hosting. Mm -hmm. But you could also, like, maybe set it up with a link, right, that Mm -hmm. you only give people that you trust access to that link. And then they can literally click on that link and set themselves up an account mm. and you can like pre-allocate cloud resources. You can let them then set up their own calendars, webmail, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. Um, so that's really powerful for organizations in particular. Like you could set up your own organization cloud hosting if you wanted to. Wow. They've also got maps. So you can have, you know, beautiful looking map. You've got, you know, routing there. So like directions and whatever, stick your contacts on the map and it's all private. You know, you can track mm. yourself, load GPS on there, put your photos on the map whatever you got video and voice conferencing super exciting uh synchronization with your sms messages um what else is there yeah there's this thing called only office um which is kind of like a, a version of um google docs oh, yeah. and you know that microsoft's um it's like a cloud-based LibreOffice. LibreOffice is like the uh, open source office platform um but they've made it online so you can you know edit stuff you can collaborate etc cetera, etc cetera, um which is really cool they've got mind mapping tools they've cool. got tasks yeah their mind mapping stuff is actually really cool um they've got tasks they've got a note taker they've even got a cookbook application so you can literally like have your own self-hosted cookbook and share like recipes with um other people in your family uh through your next cloud which wow. is pretty pretty cool so all of this stuff, and there's even a phone tracker as far as I've heard, you know, there's, it mm. runs through a simple, you know, 
server that you could spin up on something like DigitalOcean. You know, with with DigitalOcean, you set up a thing called a droplet, which is like a virtual server. And you know, for five bucks a month, you're you you can actually spin up a really powerful little server for yourself and run stuff on it. Yeah, yeah, and installation is really easy. Um, so it's it's they've made it so intuitive. Like it's only a few clicks. You just kind of set up. Uh, you, you, uh, you can tie it to a web domain. Generally, that's what you want to do. Um, set up a few other things, and then you're up and running. Um, and then you just literally log in through that domain. So, like the web domain I've tied it to, I just literally log in. Um, you can set up two-factor authentication on it too, so um, like no one can just log in. Um, and it's all GUI-based, so it just pops up. It's a, it's it's it is actually a really beautiful web interface. Like, mm-hmm. jump on the website, have a look at some screenshots. It's actually really really nice. Mm. Um, you can tell I'm excited about it. Like I can't say enough good things about Nextcloud. It is it is probably one of the most important things in my life now, mm-hmm. um, and it costs me nothing for the software, and it costs me you know five dollars for the the droplet I run it on. And I'm actually looking at um, setting it up locally now. So that's kind of my next step is to actually set a, a static address on my end, run it off a local computer. Um, and uh, like with its own local storage and then just do web backups. Wow. So really powerful. You've got a graphical user interface to manage it. That's pretty cool. So that's your alternative to Google Drive with a few really cool features and apps that you can plug into it. Yeah. So what about passwords? Yeah. So passwords is an interesting one. Um, I've for the longest time used LastPass. That's kind of been my go-to Um I jumped on it way back when, um, oh, a long time ago now, and I, I couldn't live. I couldn't have lived without it, to be honest. Like, um, but that's a, that's a hosted option still. And there's other things like Chrome passwords, Apple passwords. I mean, every browser you go on has like a password manager, mm-hmm. uh, but they're all hosted. But there are self-hosted options for them too. So you've got a couple of options out there. Um, Bitwarden is one of them. I don't know a huge amount about that, but um, I what I ha- I've met some people who are very serious about security who use KeyPass, which mm. is really uh, interesting. And it just means you save all your passwords in there um, instead of in your Google Chrome or wherever else it'll be. Um, you can access it on different devices, and it just means you're keeping all your passwords locked away. Yeah, so, I mean... Um like when you think about it, your passwords are the gateway to pretty much everything. So if people get your passwords, they can ruin your life. Um, I always say that using a hosted password manager is still a lot better than not having one. Um, but at the end of the day, like if you're using a hosted password manager, you're trusting that they're going to keep it safe. And the more intimate details, the more passwords you put in that, the more it's going to suck um, if someone breaches that password manager and gets access to stuff. So, um, it does become quite an important thing to consider hosting yourself. So, yeah, I mean, Bitwarden, you can, you know, it's end-to-end encrypted. It's on desktop, mobile browser, and web apps. It's open source, and it's got two-factor authentication. Um, so, yeah, and it's even got password generator built in. Really cool. Yeah, and the, the cool thing about Bitwarden is that it's it's really easy to deploy, and it can sync across all your devices, which is uh, something that, like, other things like KeyPass and other services don't really do. They're... they're they're very much about having like a local setup. You've kind of got to do manual backups. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's just, it's a bit more kind of contained to mm-hmm. one machine. Mm-hmm. Whereas Bitwarden, even the host, like Bitwarden has like a hosted version, but it, the self-hosted version, you can actually um, kind of stipulate 
um, a cloud, like a, a cloud server, like a droplet. You're going to put it on mm. um, or your own server, but then it will sync across all your devices. So you can add it on your phone, your all your different computers, all your different devices, and use it like a LastPass or like a Google Cloud, mm-hmm. um, but it's hosted yourself. Wow. Which is, which is the, the thing I love about Bitwarden, and that's why I'm gradually kind of moving over to Bitwarden. And they've got a great import feature which basically just imports all the, all the LastPass stuff. Wow. All the right stuff. So, yeah. Amazing. Um, next one. If you're a developer or programmer, if you, you write any code of any type, you've probably come across GitHub, which is a good place to store your code in repositories. And you can, you know, track changes and uh, copy things and revert back if you make a mistake, which is all too frequent from my experience. And um, look, GitHub is pretty cool, but it's owned by Microsoft and it's not, it's hosted elsewhere. What's the alternative? Yeah, so the alternative is GitLab and this has been getting a lot of traction and a lot of big companies are using GitLab now and really like the the the, the no bones about it is it's just like GitHub but you host it yourself. Wow. That's essentially the difference. It's still Git, like Git is still the underlying technology with both both GitHub and GitLab, mm-hmm. but it's just it, you have to host it yourself. Essentially, it's just a bit more bit more trouble. What's the next next uh, topic of self hosted life? So for social networking, um, and this might seem a little bit strange because social networks, as, if we think of them, are really hosted services that's all we've ever known them as you got facebook you got twitter you got instagram they're all like hosted services you know it's run by a company they put in all the infrastructure they do all the stuff and you just jump on you create an account and they rely on people being on the service and so that's kind of their big pull that's why they've they've got so much money to market it to try and pull more people in so the idea of having like a self-hosted social network actually seems a bit kind of weird but then when you think about it, like if you think back to the old days where you had forums, for example, like forums were a self-hosted social network, like someone mm-hmm. physically deployed the server, set it up, and a community kind of congregated around it. Um, and and, and that, there's, like that's kind of gone by the wayside now, like there's not that many forums anymore, um, but there are a number of social network uh, like t- technologies and services now that you can host yourself and have a similar experience where, like, a community will congregate around it. Mm, so, what are the, some of the ones that you've come across? Uh, one of them is called Diaspora. Um, now, it's it's kind of funky and interesting because it works on these, this concept of these customizable pods. Mm-hmm. Um, and these pods, you can subscribe to them um, through their, like, unified interface, and they have different rules, they do different things, and you can host your own. So, they kind of become these little tiny self-sovereign digital islands, I guess you'd say. But mm. Diaspora, um, they actually make ways for these pods to kind of link together. So, you're not... If you, if you want to link to other pods and kind of share content and all that kind of stuff, you can do that. You know, like it's not um, completely... Um, what's, what's the word? Like closed off. Mm-hmm. There are links between them. And that's a real mm. theme between a number of these different projects. Like Mastodon is very similar. Mastodon is kind of like a self-hosted Twitter. Mm. They call it federated, these joiners between the different social networks, but you just have a lot more granular control mm. and you can host a lot of it uh, yourself if, if you want. Wow. Then um, you've got uh, tools like Discourse, which is like if you remember PHPBB back in the day, which, is the, which ran a lot of the forums out there, you can... 
run your own forums on this and it looks pretty extensible pretty powerful and uh less moderation requirements but uh yeah easy to style and turn into your own special thing but uh you got discourse as well so that's Discourse to org. All these links are in the notes, by the way. Uh, you've also got riot.im, which is sort of like a self-hosted instant messaging system, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, and that's what um, I think it was Matrix. Um, Matrix is tied in with that as well, which I think we've covered before. But, I mean, the great thing about Riot is that you can uh, host your own servers on that and they run kind of like Slack channels or dis- mm. um, Discord channels. Mm-hmm. Um, but... You can also then pull in your uh, other applications. So you can have like a Twitter Oracle, which pulls in Twitter stuff, or like a Slack Oracle, which right. brings in stuff from Slack. So you can kind of unify all your services um, on something you host yourself, mm. which is which is pretty cool. Uh, for music, so hosted, you've got Spotify, Amazon Music, iTunes, or um, some of these other services. But self-hosted, there's a really interesting option called Funk Whale. Yeah, I mean, we weren't even going to include music in this one because um, you can self-host your music, but it's kind of just files, you know, and you'll just like whack them in any old media player or whatever. But Funk Whale is like this, it's like a social platform. It's decentralized. You can host your own like node Mm -hmm. within the within the platform and it runs on pods like very similar to diaspora Mm. but then you can also link as well like if you want to you can let other people into your pod you know so like you might make like a family pod and put Mm -hmm. everyone kind of puts their music in that into that pod and then everyone can kind of share like everyone kind of has access to that and they can share all their different music and, and blah 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 um but uh the interface is awesome it looks really nice um you need to kind of go on the website to see it but uh yeah, like just a just a great option for um, hosting music yourself, uh, your own music, or you know however you want to do it. Um, and yeah, it's something that's relatively new too. Like I didn't even know about it until uh, we, we were doing research for this. Um, and you know, it's something that I'm pretty keen to try out. Cool. Oh, voice. Here's one. This is a bit bit of a meta sort of idea here. So hosted, you can chat to your mates on you know, something like Discord or another voice chat application. Or you've got a self-hosted option, which is what we're using at the moment. Yeah, it's called Mumble. Um, and we have covered it before on the podcast, but it's it's like a, actually a really old piece of tech that they've you know constantly updated, all open source. It's like a voice chat application that you can host very cheaply. And you can have, you know, like 10, 20, 30, 40 people all on different channels jumping on. Um, crystal clear quality, like the quality is amazing. Um, they, they got all, all the codecs you can throw a stick at. Um, and the difference is like it's not on a hosted platform. So you know that your, your talk to your mates mm-hmm. isn't going to be recorded and stored somewhere else and potentially crawled by bots or handed over to the authorities or whoever, mm-hmm. um, you know, a leverage for for money whatever it is um and mumble's great like we've and mumble's even got some cool stuff like they've actually got like positional audio um yeah. which i remember like there's a few games that support it and you can actually like be talking to your mates and if they're like beside you in the game the sound will only come from like that side wow. for example. so there's some cool little things like that that if it's got integration for that tech 
um, it's actually it actually works pretty well. Mm. And there's some honourable mentions as well. You've got a, a self-hosted writing slash notes slash wiki app um, called Bookstack. Um, there are some other options like uh, I think there's one called Wiki.js, which I came mm. across, um, which is like a your own sort of Wikipedia alternative that you can host yourself really easily, and it's got you can plug it into a bunch of things and um, you know use it for work or something like that, and you've got complete control over it. So if you need to keep documentation or something, but you want to host it yourself, um, uh, and even for VPNs, you can run your own VPN software using WireGuard, which is WireGuard's relatively new, isn't it? It's blazing fast, from what I heard. Yeah, yeah, it's it's um it's it hasn't been out for that long, but like so um OpenVPN, which is what a lot of companies companies use, I think has like four hundred thousand lines of code or something obscene. Yeah. Um, very old project, but WireGuard's kind of um the newer kid on the block. Um, it's modern. It uses a lot more newer protocols. I think it's only got like six hundred lines of code or something crazy small. Um, they they really kind of go for. Ease of use, um, easy to set up, uncomplicated stuff because it's easy to audit. Mm-hmm. Uncomplicated stuff with an open source project, um, and I've like, I mean, I use it for um, with my VPN provider. But I've heard a lot of people say it's it's super easy to set up um, as like a a VPN of your own too. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I mean, the great thing about it too is like encryption is built in, so you just have the system will just exchange keys behind the scenes, and you're off. Cool. Cool. Well, that's awesome. I the, the, now that you talk about this, like I know that DigitalOcean, you can spin up uh, a server for five dollars a month. In fact, that's what we host our website on. We pay five dollars a month for the server, and we pay five dollars a month for object storage, which gives us, I think, it's two hundred fifty gigabytes of storage, which we store all of the podcast episodes on. So for ten dollars every month, this is US dollars. We run all our podcast stuff, and I could probably install my own Nextcloud on the back end of that if I really wanted to. Yeah, it's yeah. insane. Yeah, I think that's well. I think that's what I've got in my DigitalOcean account, like the separate one. Like it's got a couple of. I think it's got the book stack in there, the Nextcloud in there. Um, might even have. I think Mumble's hosted somewhere else, mm-hmm. but I think Mumble only cost me two dollars fifty a month. Like wow. It's, like it's just obscene how low cost a lot of this stuff is, and how easy it is to set up. Mm. Like. If you're at all interested in privacy, security, or just like even data sovereignty, like just knowing that you own your data, um, that no one's going to delist you, demonetize you, deplatform you, like you control it. Mm. Um, you know, there's not a lot of excuses anymore. Like it's it's really cheap, and you literally just follow a DigitalOcean tutorial for like 10, 15 minutes, and you can have the service up and running. You know, and as long as you make sure you go in every now and then and update the server. Um, you're pretty good. And it's, it's you know, using something like DigitalOcean or Amazon or whatever you use for hosting stuff, and we just use DigitalOcean because I love the website and it looks beautiful and they've got great fonts and stuff. But mm. it's like it's a great learning opportunity. You learn how to set up and run a server and, and all that sort of cool stuff. And, oh, it's awesome. So, oh, you, you're getting me excited about, you know, setting up. <laughs> I really want to mess around with Ghost a bit more, the the, the website management system, because I've been using WordPress for well over a decade now. Um, I feel like it's been well over a decade, but, yeah, mm. um, building websites in that and, and running them on there. But, 
ghost is really the future. That sort of headless. Because you're all about speed, aren't you, mate? Oh, like, dude. you love websites that are quick. Yeah, just sadly, WordPress is super slow. And <laughs> yeah, so, dude, thanks for putting that, that feature together. Getting very excited. So, um, all the links are in the show notes. Check out FOMO.show. Um, scroll down to the show notes and you'll be able to find it. And let us know, like honestly, let us know about your self-hosting journey and let us know if you find something that we haven't even found because we're always looking for that kind of stuff and, mm. um, you know, we all grow together. Like we all learn this stuff together and, I, yeah, I'm just, I'm so passionate about us exercising more control over our data because mm. if you do that, you know, you, you, you opt out, like you're not a product anymore, you know, so. Maybe you could spin up a server, ditch your current landlord and move into the cloud yes <laughs> cloud resident yes cloud native do you know someone who might enjoy this please feel free to share it with them you can find us at fomo.show you can jump on our telegram at fomo.show slash telegram you can follow us on twitter at the underscore fomo underscore show and at youtube at fomo.show slash youtube that's it for us here at the fomo show thank you so much for joining us if you like our show, why not leave us a rating in your podcast player and subscribe in your podcast app of choice or via our YouTube channel. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember, no FOMO. Anyway, this that suggests that we've been recording this episode for far too long. But it's good because we've given people like a bumper episode now. Uh, now because we were off, we were off air for a while. So. Yes, you all deserve yeah. it. One hour thirty-seven, fifty something. We're through to. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's not even like compared to some of the other ones we've done that have taken like three hours recording. (laughs) (laughs) Never again. We have come a long way, mate. (laughs) Uh, All right, let's wrap this thing up. Let's wrap this puppy up. Do you think we can get the Saudi Gazette to sponsor the podcast? Do you know, I'm going to replace that link with the Saudi Gazette original link. I <laughs> yes. feel like I feel like they deserve a backlink from the FOMO show. They like, do. They do. <laughs> good effort. I'm sitting there thinking, like, maybe I should just double my DigitalOcean number of droplets yes. and just do the needful because I've only got a few droplets sitting there and I'm like... Maybe I should spend more monies. I mean, I'm kind of getting to the point, mate. Like, after doing this Bitcoin node stuff, mm-hmm. um, I'm fully, like, the next my next project is I want to do, like, a self-host, like, fully self-hosted Nextcloud because you don't even need a static IP to do it. There's, yeah. like, a tool that um, will tie your dynamic IP to a domain. Yeah. So, you just tie it to, like, a, a, like a .com domain or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and whatever IP your modem comes up with, um, it'll go and find your domain and then just kind of tether it to that domain again. Dope. Yeah, just check your home server. You're probably uploading everything to Utah mysteriously.